Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Feelin' Film. I'm Aaron, and with me here for tonight's conversation are my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Howdy, 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 howdy. And our pal, Coles. Hi there. Now, for those of you who may not know this, Patrick and I are incredibly in love with this trilogy, or I guess what used to be a trilogy. Now we'll call it a franchise. So much so that we covered it in three parts to celebrate our 100th episode of this podcast. If you'd like to check those out, you can find the conversations on episodes 100.1, 100.2, and 100.3. I say that just to lay the groundwork for whatever feelings come out as we go forth from here. And we are both very excited to find out what Kalesa's history is with the series, too. Now, Toy Story 4 picks up after what many, us included, call a perfect ending to the original trilogy. Andy has gone off to college, and after surviving a near-death experience together, the toys are closer than ever. Woody chooses to stay with the gang instead of going alone with Andy. And all of the toys are given to young Bonnie, who we see playing with Woody right before the credits roll. And that leads us to Toy Story 4. So after this point, spoilers abound. You have been warned. You are on your own. We're actually about a week late with this episode, based on you know what we normally do when we review episodes. So most of you should have had a chance to see this by now. At least we're hoping so. And with that, I guess we shall jump on in. Guys, let's start as we usually do here with our one-word takeaways. And Coles, why don't you get us going? My one-word takeaway was companionship. I found that the general overarching theme of this film for me was that both the toys and the kids wanted to feel that they had someone on their side. Someone that they could like show genuine affection for and not feel alone. Um, as we'll get into it when the movie, you'll see there are certain scenes where the toys are talk about like, you know, hey, I don't I don't want to end up lost. I don't want to end up just being like collecting dust and just being wasted away. I want to feel like, you know, the warmth and companionship with a kid. You know, I want to feel that I have some value. And then other scenes, you'll see Bonnie, you know, the little kid we're mostly following during during this film. We'll see her, you know, she creates, you know, Forky. She creates this toy and then she ends up losing him. And the parents come up to her. It's like, hey, you can just make another Forky. It's like, no, there's only one Forky. You know, she made that thing and it's like her own little creation. So she feels close to it because it was something that she did. And, you know, it has a special it gives her a special spot in her heart, you know, with that toy. So my um, companionship is my one more takeaway. I feel that the film does very well in showing how toys are very important to a kid's foundation in the early parts of their life. Um, they were the same for me, and it brought back a lot of nostalgia feelings my, for myself watching the whole film. So, companionship. Good stuff, man. Well, Patrick, I don't know what you think, because you've been off gallivanting for two weeks somewhere across the globe. No, I mean, technically it was across the globe, but not far across the globe. You've been out on a work trip and on vacation, and so we haven't talked as much as we usually do. And I get to kind of be surprised by your thoughts on this movie for the first time. So yeah. what was your one more takeaway? Well, I, I want to say first that I got a chance to see it the week it came out. And so it was really good to be able to catch it on its initial reviews and seeing kind of 
what everybody else was thinking along with uh, with what I was going to take away from it. And Gilles, it's a great word that you picked, companionship. That's been a central theme, I think, of this entire franchise. And fortunately for us, for my six-year-old and for many other children, McDonald's has given us more Forkies in the forms of Happy Meal toys, along with other Toy Story 4 characters. And so I'd like to send a shout-out to McDonald's for making my son obsessed with now getting your Happy Meal. So thanks for that. <laughs> that being said, I went into the theater feeling a little bit uncomfortable. That's my word. And there was a lot attached to that word. First of all, I went to a theater for the first time that served food and drinks, one of those kind of dine and watch type things. So that was different. That was kind of a little bit unsettling, not in a bad way, but I was hoping that at some point we wouldn't see waiters and waitresses coming across with their bright iPads asking people, you know, what they want besides popcorn and, and soda. Fortunately, that did not happen. So that was kind of a new experience for me. But I also felt a little bit of discomfort, not necessarily in a bad way, but not really knowing what to expect. Because as you mentioned, Aaron, the Toy Story story felt complete after the third one. So the question is, why why do this? Why add another entry? But that discomfort kind of lended itself into the narrative. I mean, we have a new character, Forky, getting used to being a toy and not trash. Um, it's also the continuation of the story that may or may not have moved, uh, should have been moved forward. And then as I'm walking through this narrative, as I'm watching the movie, I felt like there was a lot of plot lines going on and not really sure personally which narrative the writers wanted to focus on. I felt it was Woody. Was it Forky? Was it Bonnie? Was it who was it? And so I left the theater really kind of confused <laughs> and not really feeling like I enjoyed it, but not really feeling like I didn't like, I didn't feel disappointed. Like it was solid, but it wasn't what I wanted. And it wasn't really what I felt like I expected. So I, I, I left the theater feeling uncomfortable because I didn't, I didn't know where to land on my opinion. And two weeks later, I'm sitting in that place still kind of going, did I really like it or did I not? And I'm hoping that this conversation kind of helps clarify my feelings one way or the other. Yeah, man, I think that your feelings are very reasonable and probably experienced by a lot of folks who watch this movie um, for the first time. I've been telling people Everywhere I could, from the moment that I saw it the second time, I was lucky enough to see this twice during press screenings. And after that second one, I came out and was just blasting social media, telling people, go see it twice, <laughs> go see it twice, go see it twice. Because that first viewing is just jarring. It can be surprising. There are things that we bring into this one like we've talked about so many times, our expectations and how they affect all movies that we see. But when there's something that's so important to you and matters so much, everything's heightened. And so I will be looking forward to both what you think after this conversation, but also maybe what you think once you get a chance to see it again. Because I know that I'm not the only one that's felt even better about it after a second viewing. Uh, and it does clarify some things, I think. But maybe this this will help those who have not been able to have a second viewing just like you. Well, my one more takeaway, guys, was purpose. 
one of the biggest questions and I think a personal fear of my own was whether or not this was actually necessary after it ended so perfectly. Sounds like you guys had the same exact feelings along with millions of other people out there. And specifically, could Pixar create a continuation of the story that would satisfy? In my opinion, they definitely have um, because they clearly approached this project with a purpose. This is not a cash grab that was thrown together. It's not an attempt to capitalize on nostalgia for nostalgia's sake because they didn't have any other ideas. Woody's story arc makes sense to me. There is a purpose to what we see happen in Toy Story 4. And furthermore, a handful of characters in the film are dealing with personal attempts to define what their own purpose is or living it out proudly in some cases. The truth is I've seen the movie twice now and didn't quite feel this way before, as I mentioned, but when I saw it that second time, it was detached from the expectations of what I felt like a Toy Story film should, and I'm putting that in air quotes right now, look and feel like. And instead, that second viewing gave me what I felt was a familiar yet fresh new story, and it was Pixar doing what Pixar does, perfectly crafting a tale that made me care deeply for the characters. And that doesn't happen, I don't think, without everyone involved feeling like they have a purpose in the work that they are doing. And I really appreciated it because though the story, through this story, I think that they're also hoping to help us as an audience find our own purpose through experiencing what these characters do. So that was my one more takeaway. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, fell in love with it for the most part over the, after that second viewing, especially. Uh, and let's, I guess, talk about why. Before we get into the details, um, I do want to know exactly how you approach this. And Patrick, you mentioned, you know, that you were very apprehensive about it. You and I have talked about that together on the show. Coles, we don't know your history. So why don't we start with that? How did you go into Toy Story 4? Did you watch any trailers? Did you want this to exist? And did it ultimately feel like a Toy Story film to you right off the bat? Well, I'm going to um, start off by saying that, like you guys, um, I have a long history with the Toy Story um, trilogy. It's probably my third favorite trilogy of um, all time, of um, all cinema. I grew up watching the first one constantly on VHS tapes, including the second one. Third one uh, was the one I felt that that was the perfect book ending to the franchise. It made me cry and everything. It felt like it felt like the story had had a chef's kiss ending. Like it was just like boom, perfecto. No need to like revisit this again. Just mo let's move on to another arena as far as animation. So when I saw that they were doing another one, I had very very big reservations about it. I honestly really thought that it was going to be disappointing. I thought it was going to be a cash grab. I thought it was just another attempt for Disney to continue pulling out these films when there's no need to, or you know people are looking just to cash a check and stuff um i had big reservations the trailers didn't make me feel any more excitement i saw the trailers i saw all of them and honestly i shook my head at every one of them so when we decided to go to the theater me and my girlfriend her daughter went to go see it when we decided to go i came in with a little bit of hesitation i was like okay like you know i'm gonna call, go in and refresh mine i'm gonna at least give it a shot i mean i still have my little pushback on it but i'm gonna give it a shot and it totally blew me away. Um, it it felt like the same old, you know, Toy Story charm and inspiration and just some um, 
you know, beautiful journey that we've constantly seen in all of the films. And I was surprised how much I, I loved it. You know, I consider it, while not as um, better than Toy Story 1 or 3, in my opinion, it's, but it's close right there in the arena of those. I'm not really a big fan of number two, as everybody else is. But, yeah, I think this one continues on the same um, legendary tradition as the other ones. And I found myself, like, applauding by the end of it. You know, I cried. I laughed a lot laughed a lot more than I thought I would and it was great seeing all the kids in the theater being able to share in that experience that I used to have when I was their age you know seeing them smile seeing them like you know fall in love with these new toys and also the new cast of characters we have they did great jobs too with Duke Kaboom and um the two toys I can't remember their name but they were played by Key and Peele they were great Bunny Um, and Ducky man Bunny and Ducky. They're Bunny literally Ducky. what they are, yeah. <laughs> the whole time I kept talk- I kept calling them Key and Pill for some reason. So. <laughs> I did too. Don't feel bad. Yeah. And then, of course, Forky. Forky, I thought, was going to be annoying. I thought he was. But I, he won me over by the end. He had a nice character arc. You know, good, some good character development in his way. And honestly, I mean, if they were to make another one, I probably would not be on board. But it kind of does leave the door open for another entry in this franchise. But I have to say, I, I love this. It was great. Awesome. So, Patrick, we know that you went into this with extreme reservations. Um, did you watch any trailers? And I guess I want to kind of twist this question a little bit for you, and maybe for myself, too. But did you... Let me rephrase. Do you think that your experience was hindered or helped by having the feelings of pushback and avoiding trailers in the way that you did? Um, I can't objectively say it wasn't because of the fact that I have subjective feelings about the trilogy. I will also go on record as saying that this was a cash grab, but so was Toy Story 2 and so was Toy Story 3. Anytime you have a property that makes you a lot of money, it's okay to make sequels. My main concern is making sure that those sequels have great stories attached to them. And I think historically, when we call something a cash grab, it's because the story is subpar to its original. And I got to take a breath here because Aaron just, (laughs) Aaron just threw out a pop figure of Forky, which is kind of scary (laughs) and weird and all these things at the same time. So I digress uh, unintentionally. But there's two other pops. Oh, my gosh. We need to... It's Woody and Buzz. I won't unbox those while you're talking, but, you know, Forky's my dude, so I got to have him with us for the podcast, and I failed. I could make Forky for probably about $9 less than what you paid for him. You know what? That's true. Carry on. Okay. Um, I think the question... Don't forget the question. Okay. So, yeah, I, I fully admit that there were probably some reservation some bias but the fact is i trust this franchise i trust the creators behind it um i trust the storytelling i trust pixar because i think that no matter how many properties get sequeled how many characters get reimagined the point of that studio is to make great stories and to care about those things and every pixar movie that i've seen I haven't seen The Good Dinosaur, so I can say this very confidently. Lucky you. Every Pixar movie that I've seen feels purposeful, and Toy Story 4 is no different. That being said, 
I don't feel like this was necessary a story to be told, even though Woody's story arc in this made complete sense. To me, Woody was always going to be attached to Andy. And when that story ended, to me, that was Woody's arc that ended. Did it make sense for the for the story that he went through here? Absolutely. But because I already had that completion, I'm going to already kind of put this at a lower notch and something would have to completely blow my mind in order for me to say, yes, this is a great entry into the Toy Story universe. Even if you had added Toy Stories, made it plural, considering it something different, instead of making it a continuation in some regard, I feel like that would have been better for me because I felt like we were sort of extending the, but wait, there's more. That's the kind of feeling I got as I was watching this. But wait, there's more. And I'm like, but I don't really want more. I appreciate it, but thanks. Tell your story and be done. And and that's really how I anticipated going into the movie and partly how I still felt coming out. So that makes perfect sense. I think that there are so many people out there that still have that roadblock. When I've read a bunch of reviews just on Letterboxd browsing through, the majority of the three, three and a half star, two and a half star reviews, those middling, hey, I kind of enjoyed this, but man, I just don't like where it went. I just don't think it needed to happen this way. That's the takeaways. And I'll be intrigued here when we talk about Woody in a second to find whether we land in this place of can we accept that if a story makes narrative sense and is explained well and is backed up by the actual script and the things that take place in the movie, can we accept that it's worth existing even if we didn't like what happened to the character? And I really do like compare this for me to like La La Land. You know, I don't love the ending of the film necessarily, but it doesn't ruin the film for me because I feel like it's a realistic progression of those characters. So um, I went in with it just like you, both of you, as far as expectations slash reservation. I, like you, Patrick, did not watch any trailers. And I will say that I think it enhanced my viewing of the movie because if I had seen Forky before seeing him in this movie, I would have lost my mind and probably prejudged that character completely before seeing the film. I would have thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And and I, I even I saw the character, I guess, on the pictures or whatever, on the, the graphics that I was using to make prep for the review and such, but I didn't know anything about it. I was just like, okay, there's this weird spork with like a face on it. But if I'd have known he was sentient and a toy and, and stuff, I, I probably would have thought, yep, you guys have flown the coop. You've actually lost your minds, Pixar, and you've run out of ideas. This is ridiculous. In the context of the movie, seeing it for the first time, I was able to not feel like that. And I think it really did help me um, in this particular case. I won't say that avoiding trailers always helps, but I think this is a good example of one when it did for me. So, Patrick, you kind of started to go into this. And the, let's just start with the big elephant in the room here, which is Woody's arc. This is Woody's franchise. That's part of why people are so attached to it. We care about Woody. Some people will tell you this is Woody and Buzz. No, no, it's it's Woody. It's Woody's story all the way through. Buzz plays a role, of course, 
but so do all the other toys. Buzz may play a bigger role, but it's mainly Woody's story. It's like saying it's Maverick and Goose's story. You know, it's Maverick's story. Um, Goose is there and is very critical, but it's Maverick's story. So you've kind of expressed how you both feel about it. Coles, did you, to my earlier point, do you feel like this was a realistic, natural progression for Woody's character? And I want you to kind of, I want to know what both of you guys think from two different points, if it's possible to discuss it this way. We can try. Do you think that it is accomplished within the film's script in a way that makes sense? And if you don't like it or if you have a problem with it, what was your alternative for what you think, quote unquote, should have happened to Woody going into the future? For me, this, um, this question is a pretty good one. For me, as far as in the mechanics of the script and how the film is rolling along with the narrative and seeing as how the toys took a backseat and Woody is kind of like in the center of this and Bo Peep and Forky. Yeah, it seems like this is Woody's film. For me, I think the, um, his character arc for me, at first, the first viewing, it did not gel for me. I can understand why it did, and it kind of did feel like a perfect ending. I think the second viewing kind of enhanced that um, initial feeling I had, but instead it improved my um, reaction of liking it. Um, I feel that Woody, throughout this whole film, he's mostly just thinking about other toys instead of really thinking about himself he's mostly thinking about hey um let's try to get bonnie and let's try to make her feel comfortable while she's going into this new stage in life let's see if um because when they when she goes to kindergarten and everything and then he goes with her it's all about trying to make her feel comfortable and feel safe and to let and to let her know that she has her toys with her and she feels uncomfortable and like scared going into this new situation. Then when she makes Forky, you know, Woody goes back and like, hey, like, you know, she made a new friend and the other toys are like, well, who is this? Like, you know, well, like, who is he supposed to be? And it's like, this is Bonnie's new toy. You know, she like loves him. She needs him. Hey, we need to make sure that he gets with the program and to understand what his function is as a toy. So we then go to the carnival. Then we get to see Woody go to the antique store and he has a cat running up to Bo Peep and he's kind of wondering like, hey, where have you been? Like, you know, um, you're not with a child. And Bo Peep's like, no, I've been trying to um see I'm seeing the whole world. You know, I'm I'm taking control of my destiny. You know, I'm not sitting on an antique store collecting dust. And Woody doesn't understand this because for him, for Woody, he's always been about being there for the child he's always been loyal he's always been dedicated he's all about making sure that the toys get their just due that they get their value that's what he's been throughout the whole film so i did like that that thread continue along then we get towards the end where he ends up saving the day of course and then he ends up you know getting forky back to bonnie and everything but then he ends up helping out gabby the villain he ends up the so-called villain he ends up helping her out, getting her redemptive art, getting her to finally feel what he felt like. He ends up sacrificing his voice box for her, which I thought was a beautiful moment as well. So in the end, Woody's arc, I felt that it did work in the mechanics of the story. Now, if you're coming from me like as someone who was who let's just say I was a person who didn't like who was in love, love with Toy Story one and all the other ones. If I was like really valiant in that point, then I would probably say, yes, I didn't like it because 
you know, maybe I felt that this was a way of the story, like forcing itself to go to this new arena. And instead of keeping Woody with the toys, he just goes off and has his own adventures and everything, which he probably wouldn't like. But for me, I thought it made sense as far as the way it was written. It was handled beautifully. It moved along organically in my, in my viewing of it. And I thought it was great. Um, I think it does make sense. And I think it might open up the door. Hopefully, if they do make another one for maybe another toy to step into that spotlight. Well, I think everything that you described, Coles, is spot on if you were going to make about three or four movies with those narratives, because that's really where my issue came from is Woody was involved in so many things in this movie, each of which could have successfully, in my opinion, because I trust Pixar and their creators at giving us a full fledged toy story series centered around Woody where I wanted this to go. Aaron, to answer your question, that moment when, when, uh, when Bo was given away, let's follow her. Because we don't know what happened to her. She was hinted at in Toy Story 3. What a fantastic thing it would have been to follow her and have Woody step in in the middle of her story. And I think when you have such a unique set of characters that the Pixar brand has allowed us to care about on some level. Granted, I get that this was all about Woody for the first three movies. But to your point, Aaron... This was also including other characters. And each time other characters got part of this group, they got their own small moments of heroism or spotlight. And with a franchise like this, there's so many opportunities, as you said, Coles, that you could hand it off to somebody else. Any one of those other characters, uh, those other toys, Buzz, Bo, you know, you know, T-Rex, any of these guys could have had their own little adventure and I don't know if I would have had a problem with that if you called it something else. Toy Stories, a Pixar series, whatever. But I think it was a missed opportunity because Bo's story seemed to have the most weight of all the stuff going on with Woody. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I believe the creators thought the same thing because the way we ended up was Buzz, or excuse me, was Woody and Bo. The decision he makes at the end, was the one that was like the exclamation point for the movie. That, you know, everything that took place in that moment. So for me, I think it was a missed opportunity because there were so many other things that were going on that were good. There's nothing bad that was going on. I was entertained throughout the movie. There was nothing about this as I was like, well, that's unnecessary. Well, that's dumb. No, everything was really fantastic. I love the new characters. I really grew to like Forky in some ways. But it's all of these things that were kind of bunched in that I didn't have an opportunity to really fall in love with one of the things. And the thing that I wanted by the end was the thing that sort of got bookended. It started the story and it ended the story. And there was a little bit, to my, for my money, not enough of that growth about Bo. I mean, she makes some really great profound statements. Let's, let's expand on that. Let's make the movie about that. And instead, we kind of got pockets of Woody being Woody, which is consistent. But if you're going to tell that story, maybe push those other things to the side or at least allow those ideas to get crafted into a new narrative somewhere. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from um, and under and see from your perspective how you could want that to be the way the story went. I definitely did not experience it that way. I fully enjoyed continuing Woody's journey 
I think that in the first three films, it is all about Woody trying to help toys fulfill their purpose. And in particular, it's all about Andy. And so the first trilogy to me is sort of a cycle. It's this time when Woody has spent the first movie trying to help Buzz get back because that's what Andy needs. That's what Andy wants. He spends the second movie trying to bring the Roundup gang home because he knows that it's the best thing for them and for Andy, too. He doesn't want Andy to lose his toys in three. And so he's trying to figure out what's best for the toys. But he also wants what's best for Andy. And in four, we see him as this progression of literally trash. Like, Bonnie is a different cycle. He has now been passed on, and this is a different life for him. And what I really resonated with in the end was this idea that it's not just one thing. If you think about toys as basically eternal beings, and, and there's some deep philosophical stuff where you could really start to like mess with your head when you start considering like Forky's coming into existence and what his foreknowledge of the world is versus it isn't and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the fact is like these guys are essentially immortal. And so we don't know how they die unless they, you know, come into contact with Sid or something. And that's also morbid and terrible. But my point is, in theory, Woody would be completing this cycle for all of his life. And so are we to believe that Woody's purpose throughout his entire life is to be the guy running the room, to be the one in charge of all the toys, to be the one making sure the child gets what they need? That's not realistic to me because – Bonnie isn't Andy, and Andy needed Woody, and Woody fulfilled that purpose for Andy, but Bonnie absolutely needs something different, and we see that right off the bat. I mean, Bonnie is, uh, you know, she is drawn to Jesse, taking his sheriff's badge off of him, and so I think what I enjoy is that he has to wrestle with these feelings of change to his entire worldview. His worldview is one of, like, let's put the toys in the best position for the kid. And that's all we're going to think about. But he has to figure out, you know, what is the, it's, it's tested because he meets Forky and what does Forky mean? And what is Forky's, how does Forky came into being? What is his purpose? And then Bo, like you said, which is a great storyline, this potential of this alternative lifestyle she has that she's free. And then the pivotal scenes with Gabby, Gabby and Gabby's feeling of need and what her purpose is and how that informs her entire life and her feelings of self-respect in so many ways. Her feelings of value are tied to that. And it all challenges Woody. And I think I would have been disappointed if we would have gotten just another Pixar story like with Woody going on an adventure and ultimately trying to keep the toys together. I love that it sort of kind of starts us off with that scene of him saving Slink. Or not saving Slink, um, whatever the phone's name is. But that's like a typical Woody thing to do, you know? It was, and it was RC. It was RC. RC. That's his name. It's, it's a great thing because it's like a typical Woody thing. And it's, it's almost tricking us. Like, oh yeah, remember how great Woody is? He's always all about all the other toys. Guess what? We're going to play with that in this movie. So for me, I thought it was great. And when it comes to the end, I, I think we'll probably talk about that specific moment a little more 
and whether or not that worked or didn't work. Um, because I do want to know, I mean, how you guys kind of came to frame that in your mind, like what you walked away from the movie with, I think is very important and very telling about your overall feelings of the film. Um, as you said, Patrick, you know, you're still pretty lukewarm on it, but yet you can sit here and tell us you enjoyed watching it. But that means that the ending left something to be desired for you specifically. So let's go and talk about some of those side plots. You said there were too many. I'm going to actually ask you then to tell me, pick one. <laughs> and what's your favorite side plot? And what did you think about how it was presented? Well, see, here's the irony of that is I enjoyed all of them. If you, if this is the black mirror of the Toy Story world, we have a lot of great little subplots going on that, that all connect together in some way, shape, or form. If I had to pick one though, I think, as I mentioned before, Bo Peep's storyline was pretty fantastic. And I think it had to do with some of the, the themes that were attached to it. The ones that I attached myself to in asking the question, what does it mean to really be lost? Because that question is asked quite a bit. And she makes that great line. She goes, maybe I'm not the one who's lost. And again, having only seen it once, I may have misquoted her, but that point comes across in a way. And I enjoyed the fact that she has progressed. Bo in the original three is somewhat, you know, authoritative, but she's elegant. And I, I love the look. I love the fact that she's in kind of athletic pants now and that she's kind of foraging. She's got that, that great vehicle and all these other toys that are helping her out. Her, <laughs> I love her sheep that they have personality and to see her come alive in a way that is, it makes sense. It's, it's very satisfying because it felt familiar and new at the same time because of the fact that she was kind of given a throwaway line. Yeah. Some of the toys have moved on and some of them have, you know, been given away like Bo, like, oh man, what happened to Bo? So coming to find out what happened to her and then finding out that she's, no offense, not just another person's toy, that she has found new life doing the things that she's doing, I think really satisfied me on a personal level. And I wanted more of that, but I love her character. Oh, I wish I could remember the actress's name that plays her, that voices her character. Um, Cause I love her in, she's in Ghostbusters. Um, and a number of other things, but I love her voice. And I think she's got just that great kind of balanced, whiny kind of New York authoritative type voice that, that fits this character perfectly in Toy Story 4. I would have to say my favorite side story was, um, Gabby Gabby, surprisingly. Uh, when we first get a good look at her, um, yeah, she's painted as the villain, but over time, She's not really a villain villain like Lotso from Toy Story 3 was, where he's just like constantly just doing just bad, bad stuff and there's no redeemable arc for him. But Gabby Gabby, in a sense, you can see that her desperation and her, you know, deeds that she um goes into is because that she wants to feel that her value is worth something. You know, she talks about how, hey, you know, um, I see that you have a voice box just like mine. Uh, my voice box, you know, I need a new voice box because mine is going out. And I feel that, like, you know, my potential is being wasted. You know, no, nothing is worse for someone to feel like that they're wasting away, not doing what they feel like they're put on in existence to do. And she felt like that her existence will, 
you see that she sees that there's a book and like in the book she sees herself and she sees this like girl in a dress and they're having tea together and then she constantly sees this girl coming inside the antique store and she's like that's where i want to be i want to be that person i want to be able to make that child feel special i want to be a companion to somebody i don't want to be here just collecting dust and having to like you know, like strong arm people into hoping to give me a voice box. Like, I just want somebody to understand that, hey, I want to, I want to feel special. You know, I want to feel that I'm doing something in the world and I'm fulfilling my, my obligations of being a toy. And, you know, over time, you know, she continues, she's still painted as the villain, but you're kind of starting to get some empathy. You're starting to get attached to her. You're starting to understand, like, why she's doing what she's doing. It's not coming from a bad place because, most of the time you'll see people, they do bad stuff, but it's coming from a good place. But the act is not exactly the right way to go about it. And you can understand that. But Woody, he, over time, he, he's continuing to see her. And it comes down to that one scene where she confronts him. And he's like, okay, you know what? I, you know, I'll make the sacrifice and I will give you my voice box. And just as long as you give me Forky, because he understands that Forky, he can't, he's really doing all of this for Forky. You know, but also he's coming to learn about himself. So also it's not just Gabby Gabby's um, journey that we're also getting. We're also getting the resolution to Woody's whole um, life plan in the Toy Story series. So then we get that beautiful scene where she's just right there at the carnival and there's this girl who's hiding away and she's crying because she can't she's lost and she can't find her parents. And then, you know, she sees Gabby Gabby and then Gabby Gabby finally gets the moment that she's been waiting for she finally gets to be taken home and she finally gets to be that guiding light for a little child whenever they're feeling hurt or alone or scared and it was very 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 beautiful i like the way that the writers of this movie handled that because it could have been so easy for them to go into generic territory with gabby gabby just being a straight villain and then she never gets the moment and she just ends up getting defeated in some way but they took her into a villain and they made her a hero by the end it was beautiful yeah i would definitely agree with your thoughts on gabby gabby for me she was really a bit distracting the first time around and and she was one of the places where that second viewing helped me a lot i thought she looked kind of different than some of the other toys and she, i don't know what it was about her character arc but i just was not expecting the villain not to be a villain. And so my head was kind of flipped up on its side when I was watching the movie because I was expecting another Lotso Bear situation where, you know, she may have redeeming qualities, but, you know, she is really at her core a villain. And she wasn't hardly at all. And in fact, she doesn't even end up taking his voice box by force. She ends up persuading him. Now, some would argue that Woody didn't have a choice. And so it's not really an act of sacrifice and giving it up when you don't have a choice. But I would say you either can physically fight for what you have, or you can willingly give yourself up because you believe in the cause. And I feel like it was very clear to me that that's what Woody ended up doing. Um, so I like that Gabby existed to give Woody this journey and this this experience with a toy that he had not had before he had to consider what it was like for a toy to be discarded and thrown away he had to just he had to consider two different things at one time he had to he had to 
wrestle with Forky, who was literally trash, being loved. And then he had to wrestle with Gabby Gabby, who, in our heads, should be the toy that is absolutely loved, being considered trash. And realizing, you know what, it's not a perfect world. We're not all going to live happily ever after with a kid right off the bat. Like, something, someone needs to intervene. And that, I think, is where he finds that purpose. Like, wanting to do that for all toys, and not just for one child. And so she's very pivotal in that, but man... Yeah, her her arc broke my heart. I, I was in tears, I'm not going to lie, over her situation. Bo, Patrick, I agree with you when you said earlier in the podcast about how you would have liked to seen a story from her perspective. I thought she was a strong character in this. Um, she's independent, but she's caring. She is given the look of Rosie the Riveter. Like very strongly look like, in fact, my daughter pointed it out. She was a little also distracting to me the first time around. If you guys read my initial review, I wrote something in there about how the animation was so crisp that it was distracting. I was specifically reflecting on Bo. And then I realized that that was a dumb thing to criticize because she's porcelain. And so of course she's freaking shiny. And so it's really just them being true to the character. But I actually like that. I like that level of detail, how she she shines and reflects light where the other toys don't because they're not made of the same material. Um, but I loved her arc and her independence, and I liked her standing up to Woody. That was a really cool moment to have someone tell Woody, no, you know what? I'm going to turn away and walk or walk the other direction. And especially when Buzz does the same thing and says, no, you know what? We're going to make our own call. And Woody's not used to that. Um, I, I like Bo. I would have liked to see more of Bo uh, in this one. Ducky and Bunny, for me, were really amazing comedic relief. That bit where they go through the potential way in which they're going to get the key away <laughs> Away from the shopkeeper. And I forget, I wish I'd have written it down. I forget what the specific name of the, like, the mission or whatever they were going to do was called. They had a cool name for it. But my goodness gracious. Like, I, I was dead. I mean, every time they, like, jumped at her face and it just attacked her, it cracked me up. I, I couldn't believe how well they worked because I really thought they were going to be distracting and they weren't. You know what I mean? Like, it's key and peel. You expect, like, oh, these jokes are going to be kind of just not land, but they all landed for me, and I liked that they, too, actually, as you said, Patrick, they have a point. Like, they have a subplot. They matter. Think about this film and project out more than what you just see on the screen. These are two alive, sentient beings that have been hanging on a wall for God knows how much of their entire existence, waiting to be chosen. By a kid waiting to be one. God, what would that feel like, right? To like be chosen over like a, a million times or however many, t like it's just crazy. The places you can take this conceptually even past what you see on the screen. So I like them. Uh, and Forky, I mean, as you see, I got my little pop figure, Forky. So I, I'm a big fan. I personally was just in love with the idea of this toy 
this thing that was loved by someone that couldn't understand that and needed to be taught what it means to be loved. Because I think people go through that all the time and they, they have this belief that they are trash and that they're not valued and that they're not loved and they can't see the Bonnie in their life. And it was so heartfelt having Woody care enough to want to teach Forky, like bring up this child and show him what it means. It actually reminded me of something Lotso Bear said in Toy Story 3. He told, I think he said, I think he's talking to Woody. He says, you think you're special? You're a piece of plastic. You were made to be thrown away. And I feel like <laughs> this is a direct continuation of that quote. Like we're experiencing a furthering of what that means. So of those three, what I would see three storylines, you have, you have Forky's, you have Bo's and you have Woody's with these other ones that, that, that trickle through. There was a, a phrase that kept popping to my head made from versus made for. And Forky really, really exemplifies this because we have someone like Buzz or Woody who is made from plastic <laughs> and fabric, but he's made for something else. He's made for a purpose. He's made for someone else. And what I really liked about Forky's plot line, his character arc, is the fact that he struggles with that. And you know what? From you know, from my from our Christian faith background, this emits a whole bunch about being able to receive grace and the fact that he wants to throw himself into the garbage. Because that's what he sees himself as. He sees himself as trash. He celebrates that. And the fact that Woody comes along as a savior and just there's this fantastic moment where they are walking down this desolate road. And I believe he's holding Forky's hand. I think. He's dragging he's him like, at one point. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but he's explaining to him why he's important. And I think that that's one of those tender moments that is so Pixar. Because it's, it's, it's authentic. It's not trying to pull at your heartstrings. It's reality. And it's what Pixar is good at, at taking inanimate objects and telling very emotionally centered, but truthful stories through the lens of these types of characters. I mean, it's what, why Inside Out is such a huge hit. It's all about emotions, right? And so when I look at Forky's storyline, I think that that struggle, and it is a struggle, as you as you mentioned, to embrace the fact that he is loved unconditionally by someone else, and he can't escape that love, speaks volumes about his value. He didn't do anything. Like, she created him. And her creation of him led to her unconditional love for him and through most of his life, if we're going to call that narr this narrative his life, he 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 resists it. And I thought it was incredibly beautiful to see that come to fruition, to see that have resolution where he embraces who he is and embraces his own particular purpose as a creation of of her. And again, that's very much parallel of how 
our relationship with Jesus is in in that regard. And and I I latched onto that pretty uh, pretty significantly. Um, I wanted more, but I, I liked what I got. Yeah, I also wanted to bring up like it may not be a major no. It may have been like you know just like left uh, in the distance by some people. But Duke Kaboom has a nice like little um arc in the film as well. You know, um, we see him at first. You know, he's he's he tells him the story that Bo kind of doesn't want him to because he gets very emotional about. It, but he tells the story about how when he first came to be. He was taunted as this thing that could jump like great distances and could jump through hoops and everything. And he's brought by this by um this little boy as a toy. But the boy Rayon. just yes him yes his day. He, he had a very like um unique kind of look like the with the glasses and the kind of like the neck and everything like that. It was <laughs> it was he cool. was French. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but. He gets him and he finds out that he can't do any of these things. All he could do is just crash into stuff, you know, and so he at this point he gives him away and he kinda feels like, Man, like I I you know, I'm not good I'm not good at what I was built up to be. It was just a freaking commercial, like he says. But then, you know, we start to see that he's constantly troubled by it. When he starts to do jumps, the little kid comes into his mind again and then he gets bothered with trouble and it throws him off his game, but then I thought it was beautiful at the end when he makes the long jump for them to get over, you know, at the carnival to save um, Woody and the gang. Bo just tells him, hey, just be who you are. Like, you may not be the best jumper in the world, but you're the best crasher. You know, you can crash into stuff like just do that well. And, you know, we'll be able to um, do what we need to do. And I thought that was a very beautiful lesson because. You know, we see a lot of a lot of kids, they'll see things on TV, they'll see things in the magazine, they'll be like, wow, this person's really good at this, but I'm not good at this. So it's like, what what a, what purpose do I have? And it's also nice to tell a kid like, hey, you maybe can't be this, but you do this very well. Just work on this and build that up and you could be the only one known for being good at this. And I thought it was very beautiful because it shows like, you know, kids just to have confidence and things that they don't think are very special. They're very special to them, and they can build on that, and they can show their gifts out to everybody else, and they they might find somebody who can appreciate that. And I thought that was very beautiful, and it was a nice like little character art that might get like not talked about that much, but it, it meant something to me. Absolutely, I, that's what I I think is a strength of the film is that every single character in this movie I loved and felt very attached to. I felt strongly about their arcs. And it didn't bother me that they weren't centralized because they did exist. Uh, you know, Duke Kaboom is a good example of that because it's very minimal, right? And I don't think we needed him to have an entire plot of a movie to himself. Could he? Absolutely. Would I watch it? Heck yeah, probably so. I mean, Keanu's so hot right now. Like, come on. It's Keanu. And by the way, when he gives us the whoa... Did your theater erupt? Because mine did. The adults did. My my adults just all were like, yes. The kids are probably like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> but man, I was so pumped when he gave us that whoa. Patrick, did you have something about Duke Kaboom? Or? Well, no, I loved him. I think Keanu Reeves is, is so hot right now. I think he he's gold. everything he touches is gold at this point. And I am looking forward to the Bill and Ted reboot for some reason. I guess that's why. No, I I was going to say, just as an, as an edit, something that I think you mentioned – Every character was was one you could care about. If I were going to go back to the editing room, I would say if you're going to start Woody's story, 
leave the other toys back at the house. Let let Bonnie just take him and a couple of others, the significant ones, because it it really negated the importance of these other characters too. And I thought that's kind of a crappy way to include them, but not include them. I will 100% agree with you. I was definitely not having specified. I was referring to all of the new characters. You're absolutely correct, though. The characters we know and love, our Toy Story family, were just brought along to sit in the RV and really didn't serve a purpose. The first time around, I actually was a little concerned about Buzz, and I thought Buzz was shortchanged because I kind of went into this with the mentality of this is a Woody and Buzz movie. Everything has to be a Woody and Buzz story. And it took me time to kind of come around to know it's okay that it's not Buzz's story. His art kind of centers around him wanting to help Woody take care of Forky and Woody needing to learn a lesson that he can't do it all himself. And then we get that hilarious, jokingly side plot of Buzz listening to his inner voice, which made me crack up, of course, but he didn't end up playing as central of a role as he has in all of the other films. That's one of the areas that I think some folks probably kind of found jarring is that Buzz just isn't as important in this particular journey. I mean, he has a place, and I'm going to mention something later about one thing I thought was really amazing from Buzz, but for the most part, he is there for more comedic relief than he is, I think, for progressing himself, if that makes sense. So I can see how that would maybe turn some people off a little bit too, or they would have not met their expectations, I should say. Well, there's definitely a class commentary, I think, that's going on in this film. There's talk of privilege here. Some toys have and some toys have not. Gabby kind of is relating to this where she's discussing how, you know, the fact that she got made defective. So she doesn't have. And she actually specifically tells Woody something about this, where she's talking about how toys that have want to hold on to what they know is great. And she's here, she is, just wanting a taste. And I think we all related to that uh, pretty well. I, I personally thought of it as classism. And this idea of like, you know, there's a lifestyle out there. There are plenty of lifestyles out there that I don't necessarily spend my entire life wishing for, but there are things I wish I could attain that I have not, I do not have a life that is necessarily given to do that. And so I think that's maybe why it affected me. I don't know if you guys picked up on that or not. For me, um, I did initially picked up, picked up on it in the first viewing, but the second viewing, I did get, um, I did get a little like splashes of it and I kind of see where you're going with the whole, Hey, like, you know, Gabby, you know, she's kind of been shut out from this life and, you know, Woody are kind of like when she, Woody are kind of like the elite at this point, you know, Woody's been, Woody's been able to been under the care of a kid from all the way when he was a, all the way he was a child, all the way to when he went to college. And then he was able to get transported to a new life with another kid. So he's, it's like he's almost been like rich forever in a way. Like he's been able to like live in this like lavish like mansion worth lifestyle for a toy. And Gabby, you know, has just been, you know, in the antique shop, just, you know, just behind the cupboard, you know, having these, these, um, 
scary looking dummies as her goons and stuff and just playing like you know being the king of this um part of um her arena but also just wanting to have a taste of it and i think you know like aaron said yes there are things that i was that i see that you know hey you know i think that would be nice i would want to have a taste of that but as far as like the whole lifestyle sense of it not really because you know the grass is not always greener you know, in the sense of Toy Story, yes, the grass is greener for Gabby, for her. You know, yes, she's finally getting into the lifestyle of being with a kid. But what happens if, um, you know, after a while, after a week or so, that kid is just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of bored of this toy. You know, and then ends up throwing Gabby away or ends up selling her away to somebody or she ends up outside, like dropped outside and she never gets picked up again. You know, like. She's not really like thinking about that. She's just thinking about in the moment. Yes, you know, I finally had that connection, but there's always like a good and bad with everything. You know, just like there's a good and bad with people who think like, hey, like maybe if I had all this money, all my problems would go away. But we see constantly with celebrities and everybody, they have the same struggles that we do. You know, they may be in a different tax bracket, but they can't escape the problems that everybody faces. You know, there's some things that money, you know, can't throw away. Just like the same thing being with a child, there's not. There's certain things that you can't, like, be shielded away from. Like, early in the film, when Woody is with Bonnie, he's been locked away from the closet while he has been played with in a while. You know, that's a, that's another thing. You know, you start to gather dust bunnies and you start to be like, wow, like, well, when am I ever going to get the chance? When can I play a <laughs> role play in um, Bonnie's game? So, yeah, the classes of thing is a nice wrinkle and a nice little symbolism. I didn't quite pick up on the first time, but that second viewing is very important to get the full gist of where that's going. I live in the first viewing where I didn't see that at all. I really, I think what I was trying to do was make connections with what I'd already seen as established themes. And there's potential that it existed in there for me, but it was probably overshadowed by Gabby's need to be connected to someone. And to feel like if I only had a voice, that would fix my problems when in actuality, she needed someone who needed her, which is a huge theme in the Toy Story franchise is you are the toy that your child loves and that's the place you need to be. And so I didn't I didn't see that commentary, but it doesn't mean it didn't exist because obviously you picked up on it a little bit, um, Kales, and, and you did quite a bit there, Aaron. Yeah, I actually had a friend that compared this movie to The Last Jedi of the Toy Story universe, and he said it kind of kills the past to make room for the future in regards to how it approaches the toy's place and feeling of purpose in the world. I can see uh, that. As they yeah. exist. I thought that was a really, really good reference. That's Matt from SilverScreenRiot.com. For those of you listening, you could check out his reviews. They're very good. You should follow him. All right. Well, Patrick... You had mentioned something about how you had seen this theme amongst the toys that some were made from and some were made for. How do you think that that kind of plays out with the different characters? Well, I think it lives really significantly with Forky, obviously. But Woody, Bo, and Gabby all wrestle with this idea of where they come from and where they end up going or where they think they should go versus where they do go. So you look at Bo, she was made from porcelain, very precious, very delicate. But she 
ultimately, if we're following this narrative, she was made for the open road, for the moving on from being someone's toy to being lost and finding the freedom in that. Gabby is the same way. She's made from this delicateness and she's made from this idea of she's going to have a voice, but she's born defective. But she ultimately realized that she's made for something else. I think it's more apparent for Forky, but the other three characters in their own ways make that growth in their own ways that they explore this notion that we are more than the sum of our parts. And when we're challenged with those things, with where we are currently, Woody obviously is probably the prime example, we make a choice. Do we stay in that arena of potentially being stuffed in the closet every day in favor of a plastic spork? Or do we take a risk and try something new? The same thing with Bo. I don't know what her adventure is, but I feel like she's kind of the receiving end of that where she's comfortable in her own skin and she's sort of already experienced that. Gabby, I think, has the most potential because she ultimately becomes a child's possession. She finds purpose there. And so is she made for that child? I think the question is really answered by right now she is. And I think she is the next Woody in terms of story arcs. I'm not saying I want a story about her, but I think that where she begins her story was where we probably see Woody and where he came from being Andy's. And I think that's they, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And based on what we see from, from, from Woody's story, we know that she's going to deal with that same kind of stuff. Yep. I think that's, that's part of what makes me love this one so much. I think is because of the progression of character. Like Gabby is not relegated to a lifetime eternity, immortal, remember, of not being someone's toy that she may go through phases of life and arcs. And just like us, and maybe that's part of, maybe that's why I relate so hard to Woody's arc, man, because I don't want to believe that my life is going to ever be one thing. Like it's, it's this way and it's forever going to be this way. And now I've achieved it. Like there are time periods, there are seasons for everything, right? There's a time period where my life is about, my purpose is to be a father. And number one, above all else in my life, it's to provide and bring up my children so that they can go forth as adults and have their own lives. At some point, that's going to change, and that's no longer going to be my purpose. And I feel like that's my Woody. Now, you know what? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I, you guys are in a good place. You're happy. You have what you need, and now I'm gonna go off and do my own thing. And you're right. It's similar to what Gabby has experienced. She went through a very hard time in her life. It seems like she's had this this awful season of of gloom and sadness and not feeling purposed. And then now she has a, a child. Ultimately there's a cycle that's going to happen because that kid is going to become old and that kid is going to no longer need her. And she's going to go into a new journey of her life. And I, I just love how it brings that out where for some reason, even in all the toy story movies we've had, like we never really, I think got to consider that. Let's kind of wrap this up before we hit our connecting point with this big question. 
was this entry necessary? That's the the big buzz that's going around online, right? Everybody wants to use that question. Was this, quote unquote, necessary? And I have some very strong feelings about this, but I would like to know what you guys think first. How do you define that question? Coalesce, does it matter whether something is, quote unquote, necessary? And just just unpack that for me. What does it mean when people are asking that question? I think that necessary for me means, well, does this um story serve to add any new wrinkles to what has already been brought beforehand? Does this story have any more, you know, any more like lessons and any more like power to give to us as a viewer? I think that's the thing that we always look for when we see um sequels made to certain films that we don't think that sequels should be made to. Like, okay, well, what is this new entry going to do that this first film didn't do? I thought we already got everything that we wanted to have in the film before it. So what is this new film going to do? So in the in the beginning, when I talked about it, it, it being a cash grab, I thought that for certain that the story would not live up to really show me anything different. I thought it was going to be like the same old little like one, two little story about, hey, a toy is lost and hey, we need to get him back, you know, to these other groups of toys before he gets left behind. For Toy Story 4, for me, I don't think it was, I don't think it was necessary. I mean, I loved it. I mean, it's like, it's like if you get an ice cream and, you know, they're asking you for toppings, like, is it really necessary to get like first syrup, um, first yes. syrup on it? Yes. Or, or sprinkles <laughs> or strawberry syrup and everything like that. It's not really necessary, but it adds, but it's a nice like little addition to what you already have and it makes it taste a little bit better. For me, Toy Story 4 kind of acts as like the, the extra strawberry syrup. For me, it's not necessary because I felt that Toy Story 3 was the perfect ending to all this. I felt that we had finally come full circle and we had, we wrapped up everything beautifully. Andy goes off to college. These new toys have a new shelf life now that they're given to a new kid who's going to go through the same life stages that they see Andy go through. But it's not like we don't see it. We don't need to have a movie that shows us that. It's like we can kind of already go through our mind. Okay. So they're going to have the same thing that happens when, when Bonnie comes through, when she grows up, the same thing is going to keep happening. Like we, we don't need a story about that. But for me, I felt that, you know, how great the other plot, uh, the subplots in this movie were and the um, addition of Woody's arc and his evolution to finally coming through and finding out that, hey, you know, now that I've done everything that I need to do, now I need to find my own purpose. And now I, you know, I can finally like go out and see the world just like and do what Bo Peep is doing. And maybe I'll find my own little value in that. So it's a nice um it's like um, cookie dough on the ice cream. It's nice. It's a very nice addition. And I'm grateful that I had it and it tastes better, but it wasn't a necessary addition for me. Um, I felt that Toy Story 3 wrapped everything up nicely. Yeah, I'm going to fall in line with that analogy. And I think that would be my opinion. I don't think it was necessary at all. And at the same time, I would say that every kid reaction that I've heard. Uh, my wife and my son saw this while I was out of town. He absolutely loved it. He wants a Forky. And other kids of friends that I know absolutely adored it. I think what it does as a story is is interesting because when you look at Toy Story and you look at the ending, it doesn't necessitate a sequel. When you look at the end of Toy Story 2, 
it doesn't necessitate a sequel. And when you finish Toy Story 3, it wraps up all three of those stories really nicely. It's interesting that the entry that I least liked is the one that logistically continues the story. But at the same time, it was consistent. Because there was nothing about it, objectively speaking, that made it any different than those other stories. It was a toy story. And I think that there's a success to that. There's this idea that I can pop in Toy Story 2 and not have seen the first entry or the last entry or the third entry and be completely entertained by it. Toy Story 4 does the same thing for me. Where it hits the heartstrings is when you have the completion of those different moments. I think 4 has more strings attached to it because you're introducing characters that were important in the previous entries, but you have enough new characters there that you're falling in love with, as you guys mentioned. There were at least three or four new characters that you're like, man, those are great. And they make the other original Toy Story family kind of forget, forgettable. Um, is that a fault? Probably. But it also speaks to the creativity of, of Pixar and the half dozen or so writers behind this this uh, the story so for me i I think that necessity is subjective truth be told you're gonna find people that are like give me woody and buzz i don't care what it is or give me these characters in some way shape or form i don't care what it is or you're gonna get someone like me or maybe don who are like give me my three and leave that in the in the vault leave that as the the grail of the Toy Story world, I don't need anymore. I don't want any more stories attached to that because that's sacred to me. So it doesn't make me mad. It just feels like a little fat on an otherwise perfect steak. Well, I think you guys and your analogies with food are making me hungry. (laughs) Um, Now I need a steak and some ice cream with all kinds of different toppings and lots of butter on top of cookie it for extra dough, fat. Really. No, I don't want cookie dough on my cream. steak. Well, That's you, my... <laughs> I think Colas likes cookie dough on his ice cream, apparently. I think he I does. Do. And Love strawberry it. syrup. <laughs> we know a lot about Colas. Well, I agree on the word necessary. And I actually asked this question because I get annoyed by this being thrown around in reviews or in takeaways of the film. I don't want someone to tell me this film wasn't necessary and that's why I didn't like it. I want them to tell me why the film specifically didn't work for them narratively and not kind of try to pigeonhole it into this idea, like you just kind of alluded to, Patrick, that necessity is an objective thing. It is subjective to the viewer. And while some may have felt that the story needed to go forward, others, many, many, many of us did not. I did not think this movie was necessary in any shape or form. I would have been just fine with the trilogy had this never come into existence, that was before I saw it. Now that I've seen it, it's really hard for me to go back and imagine a world in which I thought it was fine that I didn't know whatever, didn't even consider what could happen to these characters. So while I still love that original trilogy just the same, this is absolutely for me better than two. And it, honest to goodness, is rivaling one and three in a lot of ways for me. It's not quite there either, like Coles said for him, but I think part of it is what you just said too, Patrick, the side characters and the 
plots, the arcs that they go through, the development of the characters, the reasons they exist, and the personalities we get from them, to me, are much more in-depth than the original gang. And so, yeah, it does sort of make them a little more forgettable. You know, like, what is Mr. Potato Head's big emotional arc? I don't know. Like, he's funny because, you know, you know, he has little stick eyes and he can be banana or whatever else he wants to be. You know, that was actually pretty funny when he was like a pancake or whatever it was. I can't remember if that was three because I just rewatched three as well. But one of the ones where he like turns into this flat thing and is moving around, he's funny, but I don't see where that has a deep existential thing for me to think about. It doesn't get my brain moving in a way that the side characters in Toy Story 4 did. And so I think that it is absolutely worthwhile and existing, even if it's not necessary. And and in hindsight, I'm super glad that they went ahead and made it from, you know, my own perspective. So, and I'm hopeful, Patrick, that you will possibly even think that more so when you see it again, but we'll see. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's fine because the original trilogy exists and it's still perfect. I think that is the big takeaway here is even if you just know that story, it's perfect as it is. This is the strawberry syrup or the butter on the steak. It's extra. And for some of us, it's amazing tasting extra. And once you've had it, you can't go back because you've tasted something even better in my opinion. So yeah, that's good stuff, guys. Well, let's get into our connecting points and wrap this thing up. Kales, I'm going to have you go first. What was your connecting point? I would have to say my connecting point was the scene in which Gabby Gabby is found by the little girl at the amusement park. Like, like I talked about before, you know, Gabby's arc, you know, from a villain to an empathetic character, um, I thought the scene kind of summed up the whole film for me and the whole theme as we go back to, um, our World War Takeaway was, um, companionship. Um, I found that that scene, the scene actually brought back some nostalgic memories for me. Um, when I was a kid, you know, if I, if I ended up, um, losing a toy or anything of like, or not seeing where my favorite toy was, I would immediately throw a fit. I would immediately get sad. I would feel like scared. I would be like, oh my God, like, where is my toy? You know, but this scene kind of takes it to an extreme where a child is lost. Um, she can't find her parents. Um, she doesn't know where she is. It's a foreign environment. She's just trapped in a corner dark all alone. No one's coming to her rescue. Then, um, then, you know, she sees this toy and it's just sitting right there. And it's like, it's almost like, I kind of like how they said, like, Gabby, get into the light. You know, it's kind of like they're shining the light on this, like, little toy. Like, it's like an angel or something like that. This, and so the girl picks it up, and you notice that she kind of stops crying in a way. She kind of is like, oh, my God, like, you know, this is something I, this is something that it soothes her. You know, she immediately stops being scared, you know, and then she kind of has a little bit of the courage to go out, and, you know, she sees the cop. It's like, hey, like, can you help me find my parents? You know, I'm kind of lost. But she kind of feels, like, safe and just, like, it's hard to describe this feeling, but... You know, there are certain things that you can have in your life that are like mementos to you, like personal things where, you know, as long as you can feel them, touch them, have them along with you. It's like when a kid has a blanket of theirs and drags it along with them, you know, and they start crying when it's taken away from them. It's like it's something that feels personal to them. 
you know, it's a, it's a friend, you know, especially at that time when kids are growing up and, you know, they're, they don't, they're, their brain's not fully developed yet. They don't really understand about the idea of like, you know, just going out there and being social and, you know, it's kind of hard for them to really get to understand that concept until they fully grow up. But this kid just finding this child, it was a very, very emotional moment. And it kind of made me tear up a little bit, you know, because I could understand where that little girl was. You know, I was once that little kid at a point. And, you know, your toy at that age, a toy is your best friend. That's who you talk to. That's who you have like play dates with. That's who you have tea with. That's who you feed food to. That's who you watch TV with and go to sleep with, holding it and cuddling it in the bed. You know, before you enjoy the human to human interactions, your toy is the place of that. You know, and then once you grow up, you kind of grow out of that. And then you become more involved with other humans. But, you know, for me, it's it's a very it was a very, very um, striking scene. And I know all the kids in um, my theater could connect with that, like. There were some parents who were like ooing and aahing and some kids who were like kind of clapping their hands, you know, seeing that um, the child found her parents and she also ended up getting a treasure, which is like a new toy to have that companionship with. I would have to agree. That's my connecting point as well. A few years ago, I was reading a book that highlighted two words that matter uh, almost to the level of I love you. And those two words are me too. And this is before the hashtag became what it is. But I, I completely agree. When you can say me too, you're connecting with a person. You're saying this is what I relate to as well. And when the little girl looks at this doll and says, are you lost too? That spoke volumes for what I think Gabby was feeling that whole time because she wanted to say yes. And now I'm found because these two people were lost together. And this weird emotional math says that when you're lost together, you're actually found because you found each other. In the same way that you have two people that are weird together, they feel normal to each other. Or people that seem like misfits among other people are comfortable in their own skin because they relate to one another. And I feel like Gabby as a character, even though she changed her person, she didn't change her purpose. She always wanted to be connected to someone else, but it was equally about her wanting to feel valued as much as it was about giving value to that child, being loved by someone as much as loving that someone, that someone just happened to be someone different than who she expected. And I thought that was really beautiful because it goes back to what you were talking about, Aaron, where we expect something and it doesn't always turn out, but maybe that thing that comes along in place of that is actually a better thing, and it satisfies that thing in us that we really wanted. And it makes sense in the big picture of her needing a kid and that kid equally needing her. And I think that's what makes that line, Are You Lost Too, really powerful. I love the fact that the camera pans back and we just see that interaction. I mean, we get a little bit of a dialogue, but we see her just holding Gabby tight. And Kalesa, I agree. This is how I felt. I had a, and still do, it's with my son obviously now, maybe, uh, of a, a, a Fievel doll from an American tale. That was my stuffed animal. And I remember losing him and getting another one. And that other one was never going to replace the original. And I eventually found the first one, 
with his hat missing. I don't know what happened there. And so for a while I had two. And for some reason I equally latched on to both. I was like, you're not getting rid of both of my fibles here. But I remember having that attachment and I don't remember having dialogue with them, but I remember that having those stuffed animals next to me made me feel safe. They made, made me feel like nothing was going to hurt me. And these are the moments that Pixar gets right when it comes to the mind of a child. And as has been the case with the other Toy Story entries, seeing what it's like from the toy's perspective is equally as gentle and beautiful. Great, great choice, guys. And I agree with you fully, um, both of you. I was in tears myself watching that play out. Um, that moment, that quick pan to Gabby as the little girl's walking away and the smile on her face is, oh, it's just heartbreaking in all the best ways. You're just so, so relieved and happy for that toy <laughs> that she's found a purpose and a home and a, and a person to love her the way that she wants to love someone back. And isn't that what we all want, right? To love and be loved in return. I believe that's a, a pretty famous quote, and now I can't remember who said it, but someone smarter than me. All right, well, my CP is the goodbye. And I know that this is controversial or divisive for many folks. A lot of people don't necessarily like the way the movie ends. Um, I personally was torn on it the first time. We're here on that second viewing thing again, where the second time around, I was a wreck watching the ending of this film, just like I have been in every other Toy Story movie at some point. Patrick, you and I talked about bookends a few weeks ago. I don't remember what episode in particular it was on, um, but might have been on, I don't know why I'm going to try to figure it, was it out. Way, it, was, it was the way, 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 way back. back right? Yeah, the, the scene starts and ends the same way, and this movie did that. It starts with Woody's, there's, part of the scene is Woody's hands uh, on the tailgate as he is removing them in order to allow Bo to go. He's going to stop fighting. He's going to let her go away and, and accept that this is what she wants. She says, I don't want to come back. You don't need to save me. And it's a very sad moment watching his hands come off of that tailgate, um, that railing. And we get a bookended moment of that happening again. And in that first part of Toy Story 4, the way she touches his face as she's saying goodbye to him, it just the emotional storytelling in these so small, tiny little quick moments and what that says and what that means, the depth that we get from that is so powerful to me. But instead of that scene ending with Woody going back to the gang and Andy, the second time around, he stays with Bo Peep. Um, it's been set up, I think. It works incredibly well. He's been progressing through this understanding of life in a way that makes it completely believable that he would make this choice. His place in Bonnie's life is not conducive to his spirit and his need to help others. And I think that that's what wins out for him is a desire to simultaneously not be locked in a closet, but also to be able to do his important work. I think Woody's heart is always there wanting to help others. And this allows him to do that. He can't do that from the closet. He just can't. Um, he can be motivational to others, but it's it's a minimal impact that he could have. Jesse's that sheriff and the desired toy now. It makes perfect sense. Like I said, Bonnie's a girl. And so when Woody chooses to go with the life that helps other toys find a home, after spending the whole episode 
trying to make sure that Forky understood why he was loved and that he's had a place with Bonnie and then helping Gabby to find what she was looking for. I just think it's absolutely amazing. And what everybody points to is that Woody chooses Bo and that it's this romantic thing. To me, that's just a cherry on the top. I do understand because that's like the final moment that we really get left with before the post credit scenes. But it doesn't bother me that we get to see the things we do in the post credits that further the story. I think it works just fine. I never once felt like Woody was choosing the girl and that that was the sole reason that he was making this choice. I do think that him choosing the girl is set up, though, in the beginning of the film. And so it flows perfectly well. And what really, really breaks me, guys, about this ending, I like I said, Woody and Buzz. <laughs> That's what we know of this trilogy. When Buzz tells him to go and he says, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Bonnie will be fine. I ugly cried. Like when they have that final hug and they say goodbye, like I'm going to cry thinking about it because I don't, it's hard for me to want to believe there's a world where Woody and Buzz are not together. But again, that's life. And I've had people in my life like that, that were there and that impactful for a time that aren't anymore, but that doesn't negate that moment I have with them. And it's just so beautiful and tender. And I feel like it's a perfect parting for the two of them because Buzz is being supportive and doing what he knows. And he, for, for him to give his blessing to Woody is, it, it had to happen. I would not have felt okay with this decision if that not, had not taken place. So, uh, it is super impactful for me, super emotional, it, just as much as the end of Toy Story 3, really. I, I absolutely love the ending of this movie. All right, gents. Well, this was a great talk. Um, Kales, thank you for joining us. I'm so glad we got to have you on for this one. Patrick, it's been good to get you back and for us to get back on the mic. My computer was like woody. It had dust and cobwebs all over it from the time that we had taken off podcasting. And I'm like acting like we haven't podcasted in a year and it's been like six days or something. <laughs> but it feels like that. Patrick, what do we got coming up uh, next on the show? It's a busy week for us. It is a busy week. In the next few days, we will actually be posting our June donor pick, you know, a day late. It's okay. It's fine. On Pirates of the Caribbean, the Coast of the Black Pearl. Excited to talk about that. We've got some bonus content for our patrons and our episode on Spider-Man Far From Home coming soon after that. The first post-endgame Marvel movie to hit the big screen. So, Keep your podcatchers open to get all of that great content. Aaron, Kales, thank you guys once again for a fantastic conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group, a link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive and keep feeling filled.